All right, friends, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 25 and read down to verses 32. The title of this message is New Identity Lived Out in New Community. New Identity Lived Out in New Community. So let's read this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach this message and help my friends to hear it and apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you look at verse 25, you'll see the word, therefore. And what that word, therefore, tells us is that this text does not stand alone. This sermon does not stand alone. This sermon is part of a sermon series. This text is part of a series of of commands, what we call imperatives, that began with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and will continue to the end of the book in chapter 6. And specifically, the commands we see here today are the very commands that, in a sense, give us the detail of what was preached last week. If last week the sermon was about put off the old and put on the new by the power of Jesus, then this week is all about, well, what does that look like? What are you saying, Al? Can you be more detailed? The answer is yes, I can be, because Scripture is. This metaphor of putting off and putting on carries with it in the text the idea of dressing, of clothing, In fact, the the author here, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, uses this metaphor, uses this picture of putting off and putting on, and he knows that it's going to elicit from his hearers in the first century this idea of taking off certain pieces of clothing and putting on other pieces of clothing. So I want you to be thinking in those terms as well. I want you to be thinking in those terms as well. That we are to take off the clothing, the set of clothing that we used to wear before we knew Jesus Christ. Before he called us to himself. Before our lives were changed. And we're to put on a new set of clothes now that he has called us. Now that we do know him. Now, if you remember last week, Alexi Perez, the Cuban pastor who preached, he talked to us about that new set of clothing. And what did he say about that new set of clothing? 
said it was kind of big for us, wasn't it? I mean, those are big clothes to wear. They're the clothes of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They're the clothes of our new creation in Christ Jesus. And they're kind of, they're kind of big on us. We kind of have to grow into them. And that's the idea I want you to take with you into this message. We have to grow into these new clothes that represent our new identity. Our clothes speak of who we are, what our values are, what we wear, what we choose to wear. says a lot about us. It's our new identity in Christ. And, and as I thought about this picture of we have new clothes, but they're kind of big on us, and we have to grow into them, which is really what Ephesians chapter 4 is all about. Just grow up, guys. Grow up to be who you are, the fullness of God, the fullness of the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. Grow up to be who you are. And as I thought of that picture, uh, it it reminded me of another picture that I saw recently of my son Joey and my daughter Stephanie. You see, it's graduation time, and like many families in the church, we are preparing to graduate one of our children from high school. Joey is our fourth and last child to graduate from high school. So in one sense, we know the drill. We are familiar with all the many details involved at this time from making long-term plans for Joey's future training in a career to more immediate plans for a senior class trip, which they just took yesterday, to preparing graduation announcements, which some of you have already received in the mail, to planning graduation parties and graduation ceremonies. And here, as part of this graduating seminary plan, excuse me, ceremony plan, (laughs) no seminaries, ceremonies, we put together something that we've done for all of our children, a slide presentation. It's a slide presentation celebrating Joey's life. Actually, my wife put it together. She does all the work on this. I just walk by periodically and look at the pictures and go, wow, that's really cool. And I did that to this picture right here. All right, so Joey and Steph in this picture are four and six years old, respectively. And here they are trying on my army uniforms, my greens, dress greens, and my dress blues. And I chuckled over that slide. I I, I couldn't help but think as I looked at it. I thought, you know what? This is us. This is us. We have the garments of the righteousness of Christ, don't we? They're not ours, they're his. And and he puts them on us. He gives us new sets of clothing, uniform, if you would like it, to identify our new identity. And, and, And he calls us to grow up into them. Now, today, I still have this uniform. Today, my son would fill that uniform out rather nicely, actually, because he's grown up physically. He's no longer a four-year-old boy. He's an 18-year-old man. And that is exactly what God is calling us to do in this passage. He's giving us specific instructions in specific ways how we're to grow up to be who we are. Jesus is fully Christ. He is fully God. He's fully man. He is in the heavens. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is complete. And here in Ephesians 4, we're called, we are the fullness of Christ. On earth, we're called to become the fullness of Christ on earth. Do you understand that? You're not just here on a Sunday to like listen to a message, to resolve some guilt you might have, 
to try to figure out what you're going to do with life. Oh, no, no, it's bigger than that. You are here because God has called you to be part of his body, and he's called you to be part of those people that are going to grow up and fill in those clothes that one day we're going to represent Jesus fully. That means we got a lot of growing up to do. Like a four-year-old boy has a lot of growing up to do to fill in a man's military uniform. Or a six-year-old girl. Look at that smile. She's enthusiastic. And so are we. But she's got growing up to do. And so do we. So do we. See, God's burden here. He's saying, look, I've given you a new set of clothing. Take off the old. You're no longer that person. Put on the new. I've got a new set of clothing for you. He's calling us to grow up as his body to fill in that new set of clothing so that that we can represent Jesus Christ. Listen, here's God's burden for us. Here's the main point of the message. I believe the thematic statement, the propositional statement. Live out your new identity in Christ to build his new community, the church. Live out your new identity in Christ so that we might build his new community, the church. Last week, the title of this message, of Alexi's message, was New Identity, and he talked a lot about that. This week, this week, it, it, it's, it's God's telling us, okay, now live it out. It's no longer the first three chapters, this is who you are in Christ, this is what I've done for you. Yes, that is all true. But now he's saying, because I've done that for you, because you've got those uniforms now, now start the process of filling them out. Live it out. Live it out. And as you do, you'll build Christ's new community, the church, Christ's body. This is the cosmic, eternal plan we've all been called to. This is that something bigger than us that we've been called to. I was reading an article yesterday about millennials, those who are between the ages of 18 and 20-something. I think it's 26, 27. And he's saying that most millennials today will tell you that they're spiritual, not religious. And, you know, they're sick of just the me, me, me world. They all say this. There's something in me that wants to be part of something bigger than me. My generation was all about me. Is there anything bigger than me? What's important than me? What I want. Now, I think the millennials still wrestle with that, but there's something in them. There's something that's saying, there's something bigger than me. There's a meaning bigger than me. There's something out there bigger than just me. Yeah, God put that in them. That's that crumpled up, marred image of God thing that none of us can deny. And that's something that's bigger than us is that we're not individuals. We're part of a body being grown up into Christ and his fullness on earth. That's what it means to live out your new identity in Christ to build his new community in the church. How do we do that? We live out our new identity in Christ as we put off the old and we put on the new. I remember this metaphor of putting off and putting on is all about living out your new identity. That is, stop living like the old, the, the you without Christ, and start living like the new, the you in Christ, because you are in Christ. Grow into these clothes. And as we do that, we will, we will grow up as a church. Alexi said something last week that was profound. He says, we cannot grow as community if we will not individually put off the old and put on the new can't do it can't do it so it's both corporate and individual it's both me and us we saw that at the beginning of of ephesians 4 
He's got this sevenfold unity that he talks about. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, one God, one Holy Spirit, one, one, one. And then in verse 7, but each one of you has been given gifts. So there's always that one in the many. There's always that you and us. In fact, here he's talking to us. We want to take it as just me. I need to grow up. No, no, we need to grow up. And for us to grow up, yeah, you need to grow up. But it's us. It's not just you. And so, in today's texts, text, we have three specific sets of clothing. Three specific new sets of clothing into which God wants us to grow up. Very specific, very detailed here. And these three sets of clothing deal with three very key areas. Our words, in other words, what we say to build others up, or what we say to tear them down. Remember, don't forget the put-off-put-on metaphor. That whole put-off-put-on deal hangs over this text. Every one of these three new sets of clothing they're going to have, we're going to read here, don't do this, do this, and this is why. Don't do this, do this, and this is why. Don't do this, do this, and this is why. So there are words that we need to put off. Oh my, are there words we need to put off. And I'm the worst at this. And then there's words we need to put on that build up. Second set of clothing deals with our work. What we do to provide for others. So our words is the first set. What we say to either build others up or tear them down, thereby either build up the body of Christ or tear it down. What we do, our work, whether we just steal and are takers or we're givers that build others up. And then finally, our ways. Our ways. How we treat others in light of how Christ has treated us. And what these three sets of of clothing have in common is that they all concern relationships because we are the body of Christ, his church, his new community, and we cannot grow into being the fullness of Christ if we don't put off the old and put on the new. If we don't accept these new set of clothing and put them on and take off the old raggedy jeans that, yeah, may be comfortable, but they're nasty. They're nasty. They don't fit us anymore. They're not who we are. We've got a new set of clothes. We've got to put them on. So let's look at the new set of clothes. Point one, our words. Point one, our words. <laughs> what we say. What we say to either build one another up or tear one another down. What we say to build up the church or tear it down. And so point one is this. Speak true and good words that build Christ's new community. Speak true and good words that build Christ's new community. Let's take a look at these two sections here. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So in that text, what do you see as the put off? Falsehood. Let's put off falsehood. What is falsehood there? What is falsehood there? Well, you can say to me, he's saying don't lie to one another. And I think it's certainly, he's not saying less than that. But is that all he's saying? I don't think so. I think he's saying that put off the falsehood, the lie, the lie that leads us all to lie. Remember, Satan, one of Satan's name is the father of? Yeah, of course. 
And God is the Father. He's, he's truth. He's goodness. He's right. He's, he never lies. God does not lie. Let every man be a liar. God does not lie. Satan is a liar. Take off Satan's clothes. You're not a liar. You're a truth teller. Now, what's the biggest lie? It's against God. The biggest lie is this. Psst, Eve. <coughs> Don't worship God. You be God. It's more fun to be God than worship God. Take that. Eat it. He said you couldn't do it. He's just afraid you'll become like him. The first lie is this. We worship and we serve the creature rather than the creator. Starting with us. Let's look in the mirror. Most of us, our idol is stares back at us every morning in the mirror. How sad. Or relationships, or people, or money. I love what Corey said. You know, don't do the greed thing, because it's what? It's idolatry. It's it's worship. At the core of man, we are worshipers. We're going to worship something or somebody. That's not in question. You will worship. The question is, whom will you worship? What will you worship? If you're curious about where that first lie is located, you can just jot down your notes, Romans 125. That's where it talks about worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Now, what does that mean? It also means that if that is the lifestyle that you live, if you live that lifestyle, sure, you're going to be a liar. You know? I mean, lying did make it into the top ten, didn't it? Thou shalt not bear false witness. It's lying. So it's there. But, but at the heart of lying is the father of lies, and at the heart of the lie that we tell when we don't tell the full truth, or we tell half-truths that make it appear something, but it's not really what it is, or we just tell bold-faced lies, at the heart of that is we are worshiping the creature. We are worshiping our own reputation. We are worshiping what someone else thinks of us. We're worshiping something, and we're willing to lie to get it. So what's the antidote? If the put-off is don't lie, what's the put-on? The put-on is this. Tell the truth. Speak the truth. Oh, friend, speak the truth. There is the antidote. What is the truth? I, I, would, I would maintain that the first truth we have to speak is the gospel truth. Here's the gospel truth. God is worthy to be worshipped. That's the first truth. If you think about it, in, in Ephesians 4.15, what did he say? He says, speak the truth in love to one another. Why? Because when you speak the truth and love to one another, we are then to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. So when you speak the truth and love, the truth, we start growing up. Joey and Stephanie start growing up as they speak the truth. They're going to fill out that jacket. That's why we're to speak the gospel to each other, truth, every day. So that's to put on. And what's the motivation? Look at verse 25 again. Look at the motivation. For we are members of one of another. The motivation to do this is to build up the community of Christ. Every one of these has a put off, a put on, and a motivation. They're all related to relationship. Listen, stop lying, say the truth, so that this body would be built up. Another example. Jump down, please. Jump down to verse 29. This is in that same area now of speaking the truth, only now we're going to be talking about speaking what is good. Okay? So speak true, we just talked about true words, and good words that build up Christ's body. 
lies tear down a relationship, tear down a marriage, tear down parent and child relationship. If you lie to me, you violate my trust and it tears down our body. So speak the truth. Secondly, in that first point, speak what is good. Let's read verses 29 and 30. Verses 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk. That word corrupting there is in the Greek has the idea of, of something that is rotten. Just rotten. Have you ever bit, bitten into a rotten apple? Blech. That old mushy, brown, disgusting stuff. It's even worse when there's like a little bug in there, you know? Just, there you go. Okay, now that's the kind of talk. You got it now. You got it? You're feeling it? Okay. That's the kind of talk we're to avoid. Just rotten corrupting talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but, but, only such as is good. So where's the, what's the put off? Rotten corrupting talk. What's the put on? That which is good. That which is good. And why? For building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The motivation there is to give grace, grace, grace. Now, not only does this word for corrupting mean rotten, but let me tell you what else it can mean. It can mean abusive talk, vulgar talk, contemptuous, sarcastic talk. Guys, it is the kind of talk that defiles not only the one who is speaking it, but the community in which it is spoken. Rotten speech produces rotten fruit. You guilty of that? I was in the office this morning, you know, flapping my gums. I wake up talking. I go to sleep talking. I talk way too much. I love to hear the sound of my voice. And I'm just flapping my gums. Half joking, half serious with Bentley. Corey just walks in. He goes, let no corrupting, corrupting talk come out of your mouth. <laughs> and, and he was, we were laughing about it, but you know what? That's right. That's right. And, here, and, and then Paul ups the ante on that corrupting talk. Watch what, he, what happens in verse 30. You want to you up the ante on, on corrupting talk? Let's read verse 30 together. This will put a chill in your bones. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Corrupting talk isn't just destructive to a church and causes rottenness in the bones. Corrupting talk offends the Holy Spirit of God. It grieves Him. Why? Because He's the Holy Spirit. Because we read in Ephesians 4 at the beginning of that chapter, it is the unity of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes to bring unity in the church and he's grieved by any word, any stupid word from a little guy like me that breaks that unity up. Don't do it. Put it off. Be who you are. Stop tearing down what Christ is building up. Because of your opinion. Because of your little offense. Oh, I've got opinions and offenses. I got them galore. I got them all over the place. I should have had my own talk radio show. Doesn't matter the topic. I just, just my opinion. 
What is my opinion worth? What are opinions? <laughs> Nothing when we hold them. It's like, it's like the Lord is saying, Al, that set of clothing doesn't go with you. It's not yours anymore. Take it off. Take it off. You've been created by the Holy Spirit of God and the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, and you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Listen, that sealed by the Holy Spirit, that's one of those already not yet deals. That means that the Holy Spirit has sealed me now. Go back to chapter 1, verse, chapter 1, real quick. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Al, don't do this. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise when God saved you. This Holy Spirit that knit you into a body. Go back to the opening screen here, guys, the picture of Christ at the very beginning of this thing. Go back to that. The very opening slide. There you go. I love this picture. If you notice, these these little pictures of people. We make up the body of Christ. Now, he's the head. I understand that. Technically, we're the body. But but listen, you are now part of this. The clothing you wear should go with this. He, 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 He called you. We're called in Christ. And then we're conformed to the image of Christ in community. You cannot separate the community from the Christ because because the community is Christ. It is the body of Christ. He is the head. So whatever we do, whatever clothing we wear, whatever things we say has to go with that because he sealed us into that community. And then when it says that we're sealed, listen, verse 30, back to verse 30 of chapter 4, we're sealed for the day of redemption. Don't you see? He's saying, stop talking like that, because one day Jesus is coming back, and on that day we are going to be fully, fully the body of Christ. It's going to be a glorious day. Don't say anything today that you're going to feel sorry for on that day. That's the day you should be living for. He sealed you for the day of redemption. Act like it. One commentator, I believe it was P.T. O'Brien, said it this way, live out the future in the here and now until that day of redemption arrives. As Christians with new identities in Christ, our words reveal what is in our hearts. We are to speak so as to build up and benefit others as the need arises. Here is the ultimate speaking the truth and love that builds the church up. Do you see that? That's what verse 29b says, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The ultimate speaking of the truth in love is what builds the church up in love. This is is referencing right back to chapter 4, verse 15. Listen, don't speak lies. Don't speak things that are untrue, 414, but rather speak the truth, the gospel, what is right in love so that we might be built up. Are you doing that? Are you building? Are you speaking in such a way that the body is being built up, that we're attaining to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? I'm just quoting what it says earlier in in Ephesians 4. Is your speech characterized by that? Is that your goal in your speech? Or is your goal to prove your point, to win an argument, to give that other person a piece of their mind? You're not going to treat me that way. What's wrong with you? Oh, so often I forget these things. And that's when I need to hear the truth. 
And what's our motivation? What's our motivation for doing this? What's our motivation for speaking true and good words that build the body, the community of Christ? Our motivation is grace. Do you see that at the end of verse 29? Grace, grace, grace. That it may give grace to those who hear. Oh, grace, my friends. Grace, grace, grace. We often are the very means of grace with our words that God uses to build others up. So don't be the means of curse from Satan to tear them down. It's just amazing. Scripture says our mouths, our tongues, right here, the wildest beast on earth. You can tame everything but that thing right there. And so from the same fountain flows sweet water to build people up and bitter water to tear them down. And oftentimes it happens in the same conversation. Oh, Lord. If that's you, just think of it this way. You've got the suit on. You've got the military uniform on. You're a new creation in Christ. But in that little area, you're just a puny little kid. You're not tough. You're not strong. You're not just being honest and real. No, no, you're being immature. You're like a little baby that throws himself on the ground. Here's the good news. God will be patient with you, and he'll grow you up. Because he's been patient with me, and he's growing me up. My hope is Christ alone. We're going to sing this song at the end. It's not my performance. It's Jesus. And where my mouth tears people down, I go back and I say, please forgive me. And may he change me so I grow up and I can fill in that uniform. And may he do that to you as well. Point two. Not only are our words, our words being spoken of, we need to to grow into Christ in our words but in our work. Point two, work hard to give things that build Christ's community. This is a briefer point here. You know who I think about when I read this? I think about Jorge Aviles. Now, very few of you know who Jorge Aviles is. Those of you who are clever and still listening would say, Aviles, hmm, that sounds like Jesus Aviles, junior and senior, and you would be right. (laughs) It is Jesus Aviles, senior's nephew. And I'm still believing God for Jorge Aviles. But you know what Jorge Aviles does? He's a carpenter. He's a, he's a handyman. And you know what he did for us? He made all those really cool animals out of wood that you see going into the children's ministry. I love them. Please tell Jorge again how much I love those and how much I miss him. That's an example. And actually, Jesus Sr. and Jenny are examples of this. People that work hard to give things that build Christ's new community. You see... When he says there, stop stealing, but work in Ephesus, there was this culture that there was a lot of skilled craftsmen like a carpenter, perhaps like someone who's skilled as a baker or someone that has a a, a gifting, a skill. But there was only seasonal work. And so they would work very hard seasonally, but then there would come a season where there's no work. Sounds like America, right? 21st century. So what do you do if you're a skilled carpenter in a society where there's no welfare? You go steal to provide for your family. That's just what they did in Ephesus. So now they get saved. God saves them. And then now God changes their life. And what what he's saying is, stop stealing. Stop it. Work hard with your hands, but watch the motivation. Here's the motivation. So that you can give to others. Look at that in verse 28 again. Stop stealing. Let the thief no longer steal. These weren't people that were professional thieves. These were people that had had a job 
but they just couldn't work for a season, so that's why they stole. So let the thief no longer steal. He's talking to Christians. This is present tense. This is like, oh, I can't believe they were Christians and stealing. Yeah, believe it. Do you sin? Okay, so stop stealing, guys, but rather let them labor. That word for labor is hard work. It's not just light work. It's hard work. Let them labor doing honest work with his own hands. Why? Here's the motivation. So that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Why? Because ultimately we're building the body. If someone have a need, rather than stealing from you, rather than waiting until you go into church and breaking your window and taking your laptop, I'm going to work extra hard so I can buy you a laptop. Ha, imagine that. In a city where breaking your window, if the laptop bag is in your back seat, is normal. When we have home group, we tell people, anybody have anything in their back seat? Yeah, go, please, take it out, put it in the trunk. Because people just drive by, flashlight, oh, there's a bag. I need it, he doesn't, boom, there it goes, bam. That's just the way we do things. My friends are going to Cuba tomorrow. And it's difficult. I'm not saying anything that isn't published by the Cuban government. Stealing is a problem. Why? Because the government owns everything. So people just rationalize. Hey, it's the government's anyways. I need it. I need that cheese. There's been no cheese in the stores for a year. There's two blocks of cheese, and I work in a hotel. And you know what? They're not going to miss half of that second block. And so Christianity comes and people are saved and God changes their mentality, gives them a new set of clothes. Work extra hard. Don't steal the cheese. Work extra hard so that you can provide something for others. That's what he's saying here. The motivation is to give. Is that your motivation? Are you motivated to work extra hard so that you might give to others? Only Christ can transform a burglar into a benefactor a taker into a giver. That's the application for us today. And third point. Third point. We've talked about our words. We've talked about uh, our work. Now we're going to talk about our ways. Our ways. Treat others in kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving ways that build Christ's new community. Treat others in kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving ways that build Christ's new community community. The the passage there is 4, 31 and 32. You know, we're talking about new sets of clothing, and for some of us, some of these sets of clothing we're already wearing, we just need to grow into them, probably for most of us. We're just a little puny in some of the areas here, we need to grow. For some of us, they're brand new sets of clothing. We're clueless. And and I think maybe on this point, this point's going to talk about really passion, anger, things like that how we treat others that wrong us or disappoint us or just do things that we don't like or maybe do things that aren't wise, but we're not patient with them and kind of let them have it, frustrate us. Um, But I just thought about this new set of clothing. (laughs) It just so happens that tomorrow, Monday, is in the Pino family, Fashion Monday. That's right. You're wondering what Fashion Monday is, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, from one who is a fashion-challenged person, me, who has a fashion-gifted daughter, Stephanie, uh, we have found that one of the 
fun things we can do is we go out and we have a fashion Monday. So she takes me to the, a mall, and so we'll just walk around, and, and we just, I just say, okay, honey, just tell me what's cool. Tell me what's fashionable, because I am clueless, okay? I say, now, honey, are those shoes fashionable? She said, no, Daddy, if you'll notice, those shoes are like the ones you're wearing. They're not fashionable. <laughs> now, these are fashionable, by the way. These shoes, Stephanie bought for me, okay? Actually, she said, Dad, those shoes are cool. And it's funny. So I wear these shoes, and people are going, man, those are really nice shoes. Hey, those are really cool shoes. I say, what's the deal with my shoes, okay? So we have Fashion Mondays, and we don't do them all the time, but we're doing one tomorrow. So with my son, I do, I don't know, beat him up and get in trouble Mondays and, you know, play disc golf with one of the Morla brothers who thinks he's really good. He's out there doing security right now. He's listening to me. But with my daughter, it's a Fashion Monday. So what's my point? We need to have Fashion Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays with one another when it comes to the spiritual clothing. Does that go, sweetheart? Are, are those shoes fashionable, honey? Does that, I actually, I'm asking her, honey, does that outfit, does that like go, does that work? Tell me what that person, I love it. We sit at the mall. Wait, what do you think that person's saying by wearing that? <laughs> and, you know, she'll explain it to me and what's cool. And we need to do that with our spiritual clothes. No, Al, that doesn't go with your new nature in Christ. Those shoes don't go. If you got black shoes, you ought to get a black belt as well. And those colors don't really go. That, that, that outfit, no. No, no, don't wear that. Trust me, don't wear that. <laughs> That's what point three is. The way we relate to others, the way we relate to one another, either we're going to relate to them in a way that tears them down, that tears down the body, or in a way that builds them up and builds up the body. And here, here is what he's saying. Look at verse 31 with me. Let all, all, circle that word, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Verse 32 be kind. So what's the put off? All this stuff, anger and wrath and clamor and slander. We're going to go into those in a moment. And what's the put on? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And what is the motivation? It's the motivation. It's the power of Jesus that Alexi talked about last week. As God in Christ forgave you. There's the power. See, here we're called to put off anger and all its vices. We're called to put off all forms of anger. Listen, from the inward resentment that some of you have right now, let all bitterness, to the outward wrath, that wrath is, 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 is our outbursts. That's what, I'm more given to wrath than I am to bitterness. I don't have a whole lot of inward anything because I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking much inwardly. Everything just comes out of my mouth as it comes into my head, sadly. But God's saying, stop it. When I came to the office this morning, I was joking, but there was just this little burst, like a little machine gun fire of wrath. It's like, whoa, wait a second. Those clothes don't go. Put off all anger that destroys the harmony of the body of Christ. Oh, this word clamor. Did you know that this word clamor was put there for all of us, loudmouth, many of us Hispanic, a lot of us not, loudmouths that just like to yell and scream at one another? That word clamor... In the Greek, the idea is a loud screaming back and forth of people who are arguing. I mean, clamor describes my family gatherings when I was a little boy in a Cuban-American family. 
like just talking to one another. Everybody's just screaming at each other. <laughs> now, let, let me just pause for a moment, okay? Uh, before I get into slander, I want to pause for a moment. W- would you just jump back up to verse 26 quickly? Because 26 kind of and 27 kind of go in here. See where it says, be angry and do not sin? Hey, wait a second, Al. I thought he just said, don't be angry. Yeah, he did. Well, here he says, be angry. Well, I don't believe it's a command. I, I believe it's a concession here. He's saying, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So what does that mean, Al? Here's what I think it means. I think it means we do need to get angry about the right thing. The things that God gets angry about. It speaks to godly anger at sin and evil in our world. God is angry at sin, and yet he never sins. So there is a place for passionate anger against the evils of this world. Jesus exhibited that godly anger. There's a place to be angry about abortion, about sex trafficking, about the oppression of the poor and the weak. We should hate sin as God hates sin. Psalm 119.53, hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law, but anger has limits. Go back to 26. Be angry and do not sin. Ah, There goes your no-hitter, Big Al. Because, see, I can be angry, no problem, and not sin. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem for Al. Because, you see, the anger of man never, never, never fulfills the righteousness of God. Am I getting angry? Because my opinion is violated. My certain political view is being violated. Because my my sense of what is right and wrong is being violated. Am I angry because I'm just not getting what I want? I want them to be saved. So I'm going to get angry at them. See, that's... That's where the fine line between godly anger that is allowed and ungodly wrath and anger which is not. Oh, there it is. Is it anger over God's name and God's will or is it anger over Alpino's name and Alpino's will? That line is so fine, guys. And what does it mean not to let the sun go down in your anger? Does that literally mean, okay, honey, we got in a big argument tonight at home group. (laughs) So before we go to bed, we have to get rid of our anger. But I'm so tired. The baby hasn't slept in three days. Can I just go to sleep? No, the Bible says we got. So we have these fake, like, you know, I'm sorry. And you wake up the next morning mad that you were forced to say you were sorry when you weren't really sorry. And off we go on another little jaunt of glorious marital bliss. You know, you, you know, your laughter, your laughter really betrays you badly. Corey and Bentley are available for marriage counseling later this week for all of you who laughed. Listen, 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 if you want to go there, okay, if you want to go there, oh, well, you know, in Greenland, the sun doesn't go down for six months, so I'll just go there and be mad for six months. It's like, that's the kind of literal interpretation of Scripture which actually results in a lack of interpretation of Scripture. What is it saying here? What does it mean by don't let the sun go down in your anger? Here's what it's saying. Don't nurse your anger. Don't harbor that bitterness. Don't give the devil a foothold. That's what it means there where it says here, um, zoop. 
There it is. Verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. His words get smaller with every week. Verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. That's what it means. Don't give the devil a foothold or an opportunity. When you harbor anger, when you nurse anger, when you're going to nurse this conflict for everything it's worth, I'm going to make him or her pay. They're going to see how bad it is. You cross me. I'm going to let you feel this for a while. That's foolish. That's not the clothing you should put on. Those don't go with who you are. Oh, I love this quote. John Stott says this. The devil loves to lurk around angry people. He loves to lurk around angry angry people. Just see him lurking in the shadows. He loves to lurk around angry people. Are you an angry person? He's hoping to be able to exploit the situation to his own advantage by provoking them into hatred or violence or a breach of fellowship. A breach of fellowship. If you harbor anger, eventually it's going to lead to hatred and violence and a breach of fellowship. God forbid that that violence is actually physical violence. We're in a violent city with a lot of passionate people that harbor a lot of anger. But oh, even worse, the breach of fellowship. The words that kill, the looks that kill, don't harbor it. Now back to verse 31. Look at this, these last two terms here for anger, or this kind of anger, and slander. Do you see that? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. That word slander is literally the word blasphemy. It's used for profane or abusive speech. It's used, when it's used, when, we're, when it's abusive speech against God, it is blasphemy. When it's abusive speech against others, we call it slander or defamation. It can include cursing, lying, gossip, extreme sarcasm. Friends, that clothing does not befit us, even on Facebook. And even in areas of politics. It's not who we are. Let's not defame people. Let's respect them. We can disagree respectfully. Let's not slander people. Certainly, let's not blaspheme against God. The bottom line is this, friends. All of these areas in verse 21, 31, excuse me, are ways that the body is torn down. See that final word, malice? That word malice is like a summation of all these bad things in verse 31. They all break down the body. It's, it's, it's stuff that God says, dear ones, put them off. It is not clothing befitting of you. And now put on this new set of clothes. This new set of clothes. Oh, friends, what a great new set of clothes. We've got a new set of clothes. Man, these are great clothes. They're comfortable. They're stylish. They're going to last forever. They're going to never go out of style. And here they are, verse 32, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. When I read these words, I I just see myself as Joey, a little four-year-old kid in 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 a grown man's military jacket. I say, God, affects me. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You want, a, you want a motivation? God forgave us, guys. Listen, quickly go to Colossians 
3. I, I got to read this to you because Colossians and Ephesians were both were written from prison and they're parallel and they're great. They use them to interpret each other. Look at Colossians 3.12. Look at Colossians 3.12. Same thing is happening here. Same dynamic. Paul's writing to the Colossians, writes it a little differently, actually adds a couple of things here. But look at Colossians 3.12. Oh, I love this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Oh, friends, Paul is writing to Colossians and he's saying, put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved he just wrote to Colossians and told him to stop having sex with one another and to stop engaging in immoral behavior and to stop lying to one another and then he says but that's not who you are as God's chosen ones as holy and beloved oh friends this is the truth we speak to each other as as God's chosen ones verse 12 Holy and beloved, look what we put on, compassionate hearts. Same list as we just read, only a few more. Kindness, humility, meekness, and all patience, and patience. Oh, friends, verse 13, bearing with one another. That's what we heard in Ephesians 4, chapter 2, bearing with one another. And if anyone, if, if, and if one has a complaint against another, if, if I have a complaint against another, I wake up with complaints against others. If you have complaints against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. This isn't optional clothing. This isn't a clothing optional beach. This is, you must put this on. What incredible clothes. Garments of kindness and tender-hearted compassion and meekness and patience. We bear with each other's weaknesses as they bear with ours. We forgive each other. Friends, these are the things that build up the body of Christ to full maturity. This is the way of life that expresses our new identity and that builds Christ's new community, the church. We must grow up into these new sets of clothes, dear ones, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. I'm just quoting again from Ephesians chapter 4. And to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. That is our goal, friends. The motivation to put all these new sets of clothing on are God's very forgiveness of us in Christ. We treat others with the kindness with which Christ has, God has treated us in Christ. We show others the same tender-hearted mercy and compassion that God has shown us in Christ. And we forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. This is the power of God. This is the way of life. When Alexi says, do this by the power of God, my son said to me on Monday afternoon as we were at Starbucks and we were having a coffee, forget Fashion Mondays, and we were having coffee at Starbucks, and he said, Dad, Nathan and Brendan Joyner and I, we were talking about this. What is this power of Christ? How do we get that? He just sort of said it, but how do we get it? This is how we get it. This is the power of God. It's the forgiveness of Jesus. It's by faith. The the power of God is the gospel. Jot this down. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That word salvation is both justification, when God first saves us, sanctification, what we're talking about now, making us like Jesus, and glorification, the day that Jesus returns and we'll be like him. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. How do I appropriate the power of Jesus? By faith. The gospel is the power of Jesus that enables me to put off and put on to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
and we activate this power. When we pray to Jesus, when we read God's word, when we speak the truth to one another, and the truth there is the gospel, it isn't their deficiencies. It isn't our complaints against them with a little edge. It is the gospel. It is saying you are holy and beloved. I know what you're doing, but you're holy and beloved. Let's put on that clothing, guys. Let's talk about Jesus' forgiveness. And let's pray. And you know the prayer that I'm going to pray right now for all of us so that we can grow up into that uniform that God's given us? It's the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 14. I'm going to pray that prayer. Because Paul prays that prayer at the end of chapters 1, 2, and 3 where he talks about the gospel and as a launching pad to chapters 4, 5, and 6 where he says now that gospel has to do something in you and now there's synergism. You've got to do something based on the power of that gospel, Jesus. You can't just sit there. So I'm going to pray that prayer because the power is Jesus. It's knowing Jesus personally. It's only Jesus. And after I pray that, we're going to stand and sing that song, Knowing Jesus. So please, bow your heads with me. Lord God, I come to you as your son who is in need of a savior. I come to you as a man who often has violated this command to, with, my, with, my, with my words and with my ways to build people up rather than tear them down. Lord, I, I, I come to you as one who is a serial offender in these matters. I'm given to outbursts of wrath, of, of sarcastic cutting words, of when I don't get my own way or even when I think it's going to help somebody if I can just help them see their sin and build the case. Oh, I've done nothing but tear them down. I come to you as a sinner, Lord, and I'm trusting my Savior, Jesus, and I'm praying for me and for this church. Oh, God, in churches all across this city, I pray for my friend uh, Louis Gipsiasso there in Miami Lakes Baptist, my friend Bob Franquez at, at Calvary Chapel in Miramar, and, and, and my friends across the city, Felipe Assis at Crossbridge. And, and I pray for these men, Lord, other pastors and church planners. I pray for my friend Jose Prado, who's probably just getting into his message right now, and, and my friend Brian Brookins. Oh, God, I pray for us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That's that's you. You're the Father of all your elect, your people. That according to the riches of his glory, Father, I pray according to the riches of your glory. Oh, you are rich and generous, oh God, that you may grant, that you may grant us, God, to be strengthened with power through your spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit who brings unity to us in our inner beings, Lord. Lord, I pray that that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would appropriate this power. We would speak the truth in love so that we all, Lord, could be strengthened and rooted and grounded in that love so we would understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and know you, Jesus, and your love. That that would be the ultimate motivation. So that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, that we might be who you've called us to be. We might become who you've called us to be, and that is the fullness of Christ, his body. Lord, I pray to you who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power working within us, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the power of the indestructible life of Jesus Christ in us. 
To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, O Father, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song and cry out to Jesus as our only hope.